everybody has a demon. Most people just don't know it yet. I do. I can see them. They perch on your shoulders or ride piggyback, whispering in your ear. Sometimes they speak words that are soothing and sickly sweet. Other times, bitter and venomous. Some people's demons are tiny and innocuous, even cute. Others are brutes, stupid, foul, and slovenly. Some are, in a word, abominations. Twisted, malevolent perversions who revel in misery and suffering. Those are the worst kind. You can tell a lot about a person by looking at their demon. My demon's name is Serana. Well, that's what I call her anyway. See, they never tell you their real names, and that's okay with me. Serana fits her just fine. I've known Serana for as long as I can remember. My whole life, actually. She's always been around. When I was lonely, Serana would play with me. When I was sad, Serana would crack jokes to make me laugh. When I was bored, Serana would tell me stories. Serana always knew the right things to say. When I was young, I thought my parents could see her too. They called Serana my imaginary friend. And my mother would tell the other moms about how creative her son Kevin is. He has such a vivid imagination. Sometimes they would ask me questions about Serana. Or they would ask her questions about me. She would always answer, but I began to notice something strange. They never seemed to react quite right. It was like they weren't actually hearing her. They'd become smug and condescending and say things like, I think Serana is telling you to finish your green beans. Don't you think so, honey? I'd think that they were ignoring Serana on purpose, and then I'd get frustrated and start to cry. I was nine when I finally figured it out. They really couldn't see her. They were just playing along. They were the ones pretending and not me. They were fools. I knew Serana was real. As real as anyone else. So I talk about her all the time. To my parents, my teachers, the kids at school, to anyone who would listen. I try to convince them that Serana was real. That's when it stopped being cute and my parents started to worry about me. Sometimes I'd lay in bed listening to them talk in the kitchen. My mother would get weepy and my father would speak quietly, his soothing words like bomb. He'd say things like, It's just a phase. Now grow out of it. All kids go through this. It just lasts longer for some. I lay there in bed with Serana by my side, comforting me. Why can't they see you? I'd ask. You have a gift. A special gift. They don't. Serana said, smiling. Well, why don't they believe me? I I'm their son. Why do they think that I'd lie? That's just the way people are. You're very young, Kevin. You have owed so much to learn about the world. But I'll always be here for you, Kevin. You can count on me. I'll always be here for you. Around this time, I started getting into trouble at school. The other kids would make fun of me when I talked to Serana. They called me Crazy Kevin and Baby Boy Kevy Wevy. And they would laugh and punch the air and tell me that they were beating Serana up. They would taunt me and 
push me down. And when I tried to defend myself, I would get in trouble. Kids can be so cruel to one another, and the teachers weren't much better. They'd tell me, well, stop talking about your imaginary friend and the other kids would leave you alone. So I did. I wasn't a dumb kid. I knew that they were making fun of me because I was different. They didn't have imaginary friends, and I did. And even though I knew Serana was real, no one else thought that she was. Imaginary friends weren't supposed to be real. The unknown scared them. I scared them. So I stopped talking about Serana and stopped talking to Serana. I ignored her, pretended that she wasn't real. And Serana got angry. Sometimes at night she would knock things over or throw things around my room to get my attention. Sometimes she would break things in my house and I'd get blamed. Even worse, she started appearing in my dreams, tying me up and torturing me in strange, primitive rituals, chanting and carving esoteric symbols into my flesh. I'd wake up in a cold sweat, mind reeling. Serana would be hovering above my bed, quietly watching as I slept. Finally, when I couldn't stand the torment anymore, I started talking to her again, in whispers and only late at night while the rest of the house slept. I explained the situation to her, about my parents, my teachers, and even the kids at school. When I told her, she just smiled. She understood. Serana always understood. She told me that everybody has a demon, just like me. Just, they can't see it. They don't know it exists. She told me that I was special, that I had a gift. I was still doubtful, but Serana wasn't upset. She told me I was so special that she was going to get me another gift, just to prove it. And then she disappeared. For the first time in my life, I was alone. I felt so scared and abandoned and just utterly alone. I was miserable. A week passed and still no Serana. Was this how regular people lived out their lives? So lonely all the time? How did they stand it? Then I awoke one night and she was there standing over my bed like she'd never left. I was so happy. Where'd you go, Serana? I asked. To get your gift, of course. But where is it? You already have it. Serana answered. But where? You didn't get me anything. Shh. Quiet, child. It'll all make sense in the morning. Go to sleep now, Kevin. Go to sleep, child. She sang me a lullaby in some ancient tongue language as I drifted off. I awoke the next morning as excited as a kid on Christmas, ready to run out of my bedroom and see my new gift. But Serana grabbed me by the arm and spoke to me sternly. You must make a promise to me, Kevin. Whatever you see out there, you must promise never to tell anyone about it. You must never speak of it aloud. Otherwise, your gift will disappear. Otherwise, I will disappear. I promised. Promise me three times. Serana said, so I did. You've promised me thrice never to speak of what you see. Do not forget your promise, Kevin. We walked into the kitchen and I stopped dead in my tracks. 
There at the breakfast table sat my mother and father. On each of their shoulders perched a demon. One on my mother's sat a large, puffy creature. A mix between a bunny rabbit and a giant marshmallow. But with huge, doughy eyes and long, silver fangs. On my father's sat a long, skinny, worm-like creature with hollow eyes and the face of a bat. It was a weird blue and translucent thing, kind of like ice. A cloud of steam rose from its body. Its tail was coiled around my father's neck. I yelped in surprise, and eight eyes turned towards me, four human and four demonic. I made some excuse to my parents, which calmed them down. But the demons stared at me wide-eyed at first, and I thought that they were angry. But then I recognized that they were actually afraid. Afraid of me. Afraid that I could see them. The bat snake hissed something that I couldn't understand, but Serana barked back in a gruff, guttural language which echoed in our tiny kitchen. My parents' demons cowered before her submissively. From that day forward, I saw them everywhere I went. It was scary, to be sure, but at least I knew that I wasn't the only one. Everybody has a demon. Still, it could be overwhelming. There were so many, and they all knew that I knew. They would say things to me. Horrible things. They would brag about all the twisted and perverted acts that they had convinced their people to commit. They would tell me about their people's evil thoughts and dark secrets. The demons delighted in recounting these tales in graphic detail. Sometimes Serana would stop them, but sometimes she wouldn't. Or even worse, she couldn't. Some of them were scarier than Serana, stronger than Serana, and there was nothing that she could do. Sometimes I would catch an evil glint in Serana's eye, and I could tell that she was enjoying hearing all about the wicked and foul deeds other demons had convinced their people to do. She almost seemed jealous. It became too much. I had to make some changes. I would walk to school instead of riding the bus. I began avoiding crowds and started spending my free time alone in my room or out hiking in the woods, but it was no use. I started falling behind in school. It was impossible to concentrate in class with all those demons glaring at me, whispering to me, and laughing at me. I told Serana about this, but she shrugged it off. She reminded me that this was a gift and that I was special. She promised me that one day I would be glad I had it. And I trusted her. Serana was always there for me. Serana always took care of me. Sometimes I felt afraid. I could always tell who the really bad people were by the size and nastiness of their demons. I could see all of the liars and adulterers and rapists and murderers and child molesters. They walked the streets, mingling in secret with the good people and the normal people, like wolves amongst sheep. And nobody knew but me. You'd be surprised just how many of them there are. And there was nothing that I could do about it. At least, not yet. That changed in 10th grade when I met Elijah. Elijah was a bully and he didn't try to hide it. He was a fat, ugly, hulking slob of a boy. He was stupid too. Book stupid or 
willfully ignorant at the very least. But when it came to bullying, he was a genius. He seemed to make it his personal mission to torment the smaller, weaker, and more introverted kids, of which I was one. He also had one of the nastiest demons that I'd ever seen. It was a massive, hippopotamus-looking beast with twisted horns and breath like the grave. It lay across his shoulders, making Elijah slouch when he walked. The popular kids ignored most of us, but they despised Elijah. In his mind, that was our fault, and he made sure that we paid for it. He loved to trip kids in the hallway, knock books out of their hands, snap girls' bras, fire spitballs in class, and generally make all our lives a living hell. Elijah's specialty was stealing lunches, and he did it with aplomb. I never once saw him buy lunch or bring his own. He simply went from table to table, taking what he wanted from the nerds. He always made sure to take my milk. I didn't even think he liked it. But he knew that I liked it, so he had to take it, chug it, and throw the empty carton in my face, laughing all the while. Serana started whispering things to me, telling me what a horrible person Elijah was, telling me all the nasty things that he did when he was alone, telling me how he reveled and tortured and killing people's pets out in the woods, telling me about the things that he would do to his little sister late at night telling me all the horrible things that he would do in the future. Telling me that if Elijah died, no one would miss him. I tried to ignore her, but the longer it went on, the more sense Serana seemed to make. The final straw came one day when Elijah caught me alone in the bathroom. I was standing at the urinal peeing when I heard the door open, and heavy footsteps came in from behind. Aw, look at this. It's little crazy Kevy Wevy having a well pee pee break. He sneered. His breath was hot on my neck, like a foul breeze wafting from a garbage dump on a scorching summer day. I ignored him, trying to finish the task at hand as quickly as possible. What's wrong, faggot? You deaf or something? He asked, and I continued ignoring him. Big mistake. He kicked me hard on the backpack, smashing my chest into the urinal and my face into the concrete wall. I saw stars and fell to the ground, my member still in my hand, still urinating. Oh no! Look at that! Low Kevy fell down and wet himself! Here, let me help you with that! I lay on the ground in a daze and I heard pants unzip somewhere above me. And a warm, putrid stream was poured over my backpack and down my legs, and Elijah was laughing. I covered my head and pretended that I was somewhere else. And when it was over, I heard the door slam shut, and from the hallway, Elijah yelled, Hey, everybody! Check it out! Crazy Kevin pissed himself! I looked up, and there was my demon, Serana. She was staring at me with a smirk on her face. Okay. You win. Tell me what I have to do. Serana's smile widened. Easy. She said. Switch to almond milk. For the next two weeks, I packed my lunch with almond milk instead of my regular 2%. It tasted disgusting, but I hardly ever got to drink it anyways. Elijah stole it from me every single day without fail. And he really seemed to enjoy the taste. 
Then one day after school, a knock came at my door. It was a stranger, disheveled and wild-eyed, dressed in a cheap suit. His demon was a snake, red as venomous blood, venom dripping from its maw. He didn't say a word, just handed me a crumpled paper bag and walked away. I opened the bag and pulled out a clear vial with a strip of masking tape on the side. On the masking tape, in clear black sharpie marker, one single word was written. Cyanide. Serana was grinning again. Tastes like almond. She whispered. I mixed it into my milk for tomorrow's lunch, and the next day I ditched the empty vial in a dumpster on my way to school. A few minutes after drinking my milk, Elijah was convulsing on the floor, and I sat and watched casually, munching on a taco. A few minutes after he was dead, I wasn't sad. I actually felt good. Better than I had in a long time. The cause of death was determined to be cerebral hypoxia, likely brought on by a stroke. Very few mourned his passing. I started missing more and more school, and a few months later I dropped out completely. Not that I felt guilty or thought that I might get caught. No way. I just had other more important work to do. I got a job in a rough part of the city, working in a crumbly old bookbinding factory. The work was monotonous, but easy, and I soon saved enough to buy a used car and rent a shitty studio apartment. I worked second shift at the factory, from 3pm to 11pm. Most guys hated those hours, but I found them perfect for supporting my extracurricular activities. Finding bad people and killing them. My demon helped me. Serana was a real natural when it came to this. She helped me track down people with particularly nasty demons, and she'd tell me all the vile things that they had done. We stalked them like hunters, learning their patterns and routines. Then she'd tell me the best way to kill them and how to get away with it. And I always got away with it. Hemp's rapists, drug dealers, child molesters, human traffickers. I did them all. Sometimes I made it look like an accident or a suicide or a robbery gone wrong. I beat, stabbed, and strangled, shod, and drowned. I even pushed one fat fucker on the third rail off the subway. He fried just like bacon. He even smelt like it too. Serana was always there for me protecting me, making sure that I got away with it. The best part was, I never felt bad about it. Every person that I killed was a wretched excuse for a human being. They deserved it. I was making the world a better place. Some might even say that I was a hero. My conscience was clear, and I slept like a baby. Killing people became a normal thing for me. Fun, even. That was my hobby, and I was damn good at it. Eventually, I didn't even think about it anymore. I just did it. And that's when it all came unraveled. I was out on patrol one night, following the SUV of a mid-level drug dealer as he made his pickups. He must have made me, because as we came to an intersection, he slowed down and waited until the light was about to change from yellow to red, then floored the gas pedal 
I tried to follow, but I must have been a second too late because a black BMW going the other way smashed into the side of my car, T-boning me and sending me spinning through the intersection. My head must have slammed into the steering wheel briefly because I had lost consciousness. When I came to, my ears were ringing and stars danced in my eyes. Smoke drifted from the front of my car. Then I heard another noise. Angry, screaming, and cursing. The owner of the BMW was striding towards me. A mountain of a man, face red and fists clenched, arms swinging, spittle flying from his mouth as he screamed. I lurched from my seat to face him, blood pouring from the gash on my forehead. Straddling the man's shoulders was one of the most horrific demons that I had ever seen. It was huge, round, and pale white and bloated like a corpse, pus oozing from a thousand sores covered its corpulent body. It had no arms or legs. Instead, its entire mass was one giant face consisting of two tiny, beady black eyes and one enormous, gaping mouth filled with a row upon row of razor-sharp teeth. A forked tongue slithered snake-like through its fangs, flitting through the air, searching for a victim. I felt bile rise from my throat, and I fought it down. As the man surged towards me, I felt my rage again, and I felt myself thinking about Elijah, about all the times that he had teased me, tormented me, humiliated me. I thought I heard a subtle whisper in my ear. Do it. My mind went blank. My vision went white around the edges. I felt like I was trapped behind my eyes, searching, unable to control what was happening. The man was close, screaming in my face, and he meant to hurt me. I reached into my pocket, then a flash of chrome in the streetlight. A hot torrent sprayed me in the face, the man's eyes bulging with rays one moment, then rolling back into his skull. His body slumped to the ground, my knife buried in his throat. I looked to Serana for help, but she was just laughing. Laughing like a psycho and screeching something in that foul, ancient language. Realization set in. I'd done this man. Done him out in the open, at a city intersection, under a streetlight, with no planning or forethought, with no escape route and no plan for cleanup. I turned to Serana in panic. Are you just going to stand there laughing? Help me! Tell me what to do, how to fix this! She was just howling now. This one was all you. I had nothing to do with it. The man you just killed was a politician, a city councilman. Perhaps no less of a criminal than the pimps and gangbangers we normally kill. But this guy did it under the guise of law and order. I didn't make you do this. You chose this. I could also feel my face go white as a ghost, and the world began to spin around me. I was stumbling towards the car, trying not to vomit, when I heard the noise behind me. Followed by the scream of a siren. A cascade of red and blue lights reflected off the windows of my car and the shops around me. The cruiser peeled out from the gas station across the intersection and rushed towards me. I sat in the interrogation room for hours. Serana stood there next to me, smirking as the detectives worked me over. It all came out. They found everything. 
enough evidence in my car and my apartment to tie me to dozens of murders. They said it would be a miracle if I got life in prison. The DA would go for the death penalty on this one for sure. And they were laughing. And their demons were laughing. <laughs> and Serrano was laughing too. <laughs> My court-appointed lawyer was a mousy man with thick glasses and mustard stains on his suit jacket. His demon was a small, skittering cockroach with a sallow face of a dead baby. It did not seem optimistic about my chances. The only hope to avoid the death penalty, he said, was to claim guilty by insane or mentally ill. Now, have you ever felt like you weren't in control of your actions? Have you ever heard voices in your head telling you to do things? Someone speaking to you, maybe? God, the devil, or maybe even demons? I pondered for a moment. Serana was smiling, but her stare was black. Don't forget your promise. You swore to me. You swore three times. Never to tell anyone. I remember, I replied. But this is no gift. It's a curse, and I'm glad to be through with you. My old lawyer looked confused. Who are you talking to? My demon, I said. Everybody has a demon. Most people just can't see them. My demon is named Serana. And yes, she tells me to do things. Now I'm all alone. Serana is gone. Gone forever. I sit here in a straitjacket with these four padded walls waiting for my pills. Waiting to forget. I'll never see the sunshine again. Everybody has a demon. Everybody. Except for me. Alright. I'd like to first introduce myself. I am George Orson. I'm an orderly at the mental facility where Kevin is being held. Because I'm sure you might have been a little bit curious about how a man in a straitjacket is, you know, letting you know all about this story. See, the thing is, Kevin is probably the most sane patient that I've ever seen. And it's a shame what the system has done to him. I actually support his work. He was making the world a better place, even if his means were a bit, uh, extreme. We've spoken of his demons at length, and I thought that his story needed to be told. To that end, I snuck an audio recorder into the facility and allowed Kevin to record his story. Which is how it came to be that you now know, and I know, everybody has a demon. You just can't see him. <laughs> 